Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney Insights podcast. We continue our series focusing on the many lands of Disneyland Paris. This week, we explore Fantasyland, which not only built out one of the most elegant versions of this land, but sought to create a level of whimsy and magic well beyond just being another European village, which can be found anywhere on this continent. We explore the many attractions, restaurants, and retail experiences. A study of all this yields a conclusion that the details of this land create for one of the most lavish and charming of any land built in any park. The details are effusive. The outcome is fantastical. Join us as we journey through Fantasyland at Disneyland Paris, a place of joy and magic. This podcast, as well as all others, are brought to you by Performance Journeys, which celebrates its 20th year as a training and development group, bringing best in business ideas through keynotes, workshops, seminars, and amazing benchmarking programs to organizations in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. By golly, we've we brought groups to Disneyland Paris to look at these kinds of details that we'll talk about and even more in terms of business lessons and leadership lessons and customer service concepts and ideas. That's what we do. We provide these kinds of programs, many themed with Disney concepts, but other great world-class organizations as well, such as Apple or Nordstrom or Ritz-Carlton. We offer solutions that are tried and tested from real organizations, and we invite you to reach out to us if you need to improve your organization. And performance journeys, it's as much about the journey as it is about the performance. Now, this, this podcast took a lot of time to prepare. Partly because, and you will see this when you go to DisneyInsights.com. I know many of you are like driving. Why do you keep talking about going to the website? You just got me on the podcast. Now you want me to go to a website. But make sure at some point that uh, when you aren't driving, that you take a moment to go to DisneyInsights.com. Subscribe there as well. But we created not one, not two, not three, not four, but five different videos showcasing different attractions in this park. You just have to see them to understand, to start taking, um, peeling apart the layers of theming and details. This is what people love about Disney and they did it in a major way. And it is, there is not a ride or attraction that disappoints in this experience because it is really, truly an amazing experience. Let's begin with attractions. And I have to start with the first three, which are my favorites in Fantasyland. They are the dark rides. I always have loved the dark rides. Here in Disneyland Paris, they made a very smart decision to increase the capacity on the ride vehicles. If you remember Disneyland, I think when it first opened was like a two person bench um, it eventually became four. Here they made it six, um, a six seater or a three row bench, which um, was actually utilized at, if you remember Magic Kingdom's Snow White Scary Adventures, after they did it for this 
attraction in Paris. They redid that Snow White Sky. I know it's hard to talk about redoing that ride when it's completely gone, but they actually increased it. One of the best things they did is they created a two-row Peter Pan's flight, which doubled the capacity on that attraction. You know how slow moving that attraction is. As popular it is, it is very slow moving to boarding because in every other park, it only accommodates one row of seating. I think they have tried to move these two seaters into the other parks, but the way those rides are designed, it has not been, been possible. Notwithstanding, um, even beyond the seating issues and the ride vehicles themselves, each of these are just beautiful. Um, first of all, they are they are named in Fantasyland in the language of which the story originates. So I'm gonna I'm gonna slaughter a lot of languages here, but Blanche Neige et les Sept Nuns is essentially Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and that is the name of that attraction. Notice they don't say Snow White Scary Adventure, partly because the feedback they had had by that time was, hey, we've got to create a more positive outcome on this. And as you go through that attraction, you'll see the happily ever after outcome. It's a beautiful ending that they have. They've since gone back and done an even better job at Disneyland out in California. They use a lot of projection in California. They haven't done that here with these, but what they've done with black light, with color, it is stunningly beautiful. Les Voyages de Pinocchio, uh, Italian for the Voyages of Pinocchio, very comparable to the experience you get at Disneyland Park when you go on that attraction. It pretty well mirrors that, minus the queue. Um, it's a little different in that regard. I mentioned that Peter Pan's flight is, of course, double the capacity. Other than that, you get pretty much a similar experience to what Peter Pan's flight looks like in um, uh, in uh, Disneyland previous to their last renovation. The island is a little bit smaller than the one you get at Magic Kingdom when they get to Neverland. The Indian village has um, natives that are much larger in size. The mermaids all fall to the end and they kind of are in a cove overlooking uh, Captain Hook's pirate ship as pixie dust lifts it in the air and takes it takes it away. So um, little details. Again, these videos, I'm surprised. I've not always had a lot of success filming videos in the dark. I'm happy to say Apple's um, iPhone camera is so much better than it was, but also because the color is so good in these dark rides. And they just are always my favorites. When I was there last summer, I easily did each of them three or four times while I was there. It was worth it because they are so... And by the way, the exteriors of these attractions have the same kind of uh, European village look that you see in the Disneyland Verge, uh, Disneyland version. They're not the medieval tent style that you see at the Magic Kingdom. So lovingly detailed. Um, I'm going to come back to them in a few minutes, but let's jump to the carousel, the carousel de Grenzala. Now, you have King Arthur's carousel um, at Disneyland. Here we've put the carousel, we put Lancelot in charge of this carousel. There is a lot of, um, and we'll come back to it 
in a future podcast. There's a lot of Merlin and King Arthur and Karis and Lancelot and all that that actually falls into this park. That is a very big story device they use throughout, and this is the centerpiece of that story device. Um, the carousel is stunningly beautiful. All 18 um, um, horses on the outer row were especially designed to have coats of armor. They are unique horses, and those coats of armor have gold and copper and silver leaf. So these things just, oh, they just, they, they're sharp. The images that are along the carousel image tell the story of King Arthur and Lancelot and the, and the days of Camelot and all of that. It's very true to the English version. I should also mention that there are a few chariots, and I show images of these chariots as well as the exterior horses. The chariots, this, by the way, the carousel is actually taken from the Disneyland version. You can even see kind of the purple um, color tones that they use in it, very similar to that carousel. But they've added, they took chariots that were originally assigned to the Magic Kingdom version. They were part of the Philadelphia Toboggan Company's version of that carousel that is over about, is about 100 years old. We, we need to go into a little study on that as a podcast at some point. At any rate, it sits as a centerpiece in the middle of the park as you pass through from the castle courtyard into Fantasyland. They are, it is just a beautiful, uh, well-detailed carousel as you go through. Uh, Dumbo the Flying Elephant. Uh, you can't go wrong with Dumbo. What is important here is that in the same way that the, the ride vehicles were increased in capacity for the dark rides, Dumbo increased in capacity to 60%. Prior to this time, Disneyland and Magic Kingdom and Tokyo Disneyland even had Dumbo spinners with only 10 arms to them. When they created the Disneyland Paris version, they added capacity. They knew everybody wanted Flying Dumbo. That is a very symbolic experience. And so they, what they did for this one is they, they added six more arms, creating for a total of 16 arms. And it was so impressive that they took the first one, actually shipped it out to Disneyland and rebuilt another one for the Paris Park because they still had time during the construction. And then when um, Disneyland Paris was finished, they went back to the Magic Kingdom and created that one. Since then, there's been a third version. There is a video you may want to check out. It's a little short on YouTube. The, it's called the Three Dumbo Versions at Magic Kingdom. It shows the transition, shows the carousel or the Dumbo spinners in each of the parks worldwide. Kind of gives you a sense of the whole of it. So uh, definitely check out um, the, um, that short. And, uh, and of course, Dumbo is just beautiful and is right there in the center of the park, just beyond the carousel, kind of to the left. Toward the back of um, that area is Alice's Curious Labyrinth. Again, I have a video, a one minute video that really captures what is, what will take you a lot longer than a minute to get through. This is a true European style maze. When they built it originally, you know, it takes mazes usually 20, 30 years to grow out the kind of hedges that you need in order to, to build out this kind of attraction. They built this one out 
in um, in a matter of about 18 months using a different a certain type of um, bush, and then over time they transplanted with a with a longer term um, type of of bush, but. In it is interspersed all the characters uh, from Alice in Wonderland, very true to the uh, Walt Disney version. You um, you see many of the characters, and then in the centerpiece of this is the Queen's Castle, which you get to go um, uh, up high into the castle and look upon Fantasyland from the other direction. From the castle, you can see Fantasyland from one direction. From the Queen's Castle, you can see Fantasyland in the other direction. It's so, it's so wonderful and um, whimsical and very true to, to Alice in Wonderland. And with that, they've added the Mad, tea, Mad Hatter's teacups. Now, I've talked about this many times. When Walt Disney World's teacups were originally built, um, they modeled it like the Disneyland ones without any roof. And of course, it didn't take very many um, lightning storms in the first summer to realize we got to put a roof on this. And you see a roof when you go to that version, even today. When they got around to doing Disneyland Paris, they knew because of the um, because of the cold weather, they were going to need to do the same thing here. The problem that they realize is that putting a roof on it does make it really dark, especially during the winter months when uh, uh, when it's cold and it's cloudy and it's overcast. And so what they did is they put a glass roof on this mad tea party and they put it in the shape of an upside down lily. It is, it is in and of itself just a thing of beauty. But from within, the, you are able to enjoy the Mad Tea Party, um, and it's just it's just terrific. Now, in their, I want to say it was their second year, they added two more additional attractions for the purposes of increasing capacity in the park. They created what was the first storybook land built since Disneyland storybook land opened in 1955. If you've been on the storybook land, and there's, we'll have to, I think we have another podcast where we talk about these differences, but we'll talk about them in even more detail. You, I could spend a whole podcast just on this storybook land. There are so many interesting details. There's a Merlin's pull out the sword and the stone. There is a return to Oz with the Emerald City. There's just uh, um, the scene from Fantasia where Chernabog appears over the. There are some really unique uh, choices made for little lands within this storybook land. Uh, Le Pays de Conte de Fille is about my best effort on that French. What is also very different about this one is that the boats. If you've been on the um, if you've been on the version in um, in uh, Disneyland, you know that you have someone like at the Jungle Cruise who is actually hosting your um, experience and narrating what you see as you go along. That's a problem in Europe because there are at least five major languages you need to consider. So rather than you know saying in five different languages, this is Snow White's cottage. They just chose to let the visuals speak for themselves and to embellish it with music. Thus, there is no one riding with you. It increases the capacity of the ride and it's pulled out automatically through 
um, the experience. So um, very, very clever. Big storybook kind of opens away. You actually have to go underneath the train tracks for the Disneyland Paris or the Euro Disneyland Railroad to actually visit this and Casey Jr. Circus Train. Now, Casey Jr. is also very interesting. Um, and it's Le Petit, Le Petit Train du Cirque. I don't know why they just think, because that would have been an English thing, Casey Jr. Why did they use the English? What's interesting about this one is it is a powered coaster that is capable of varied speed. And, uh, and it kind of, you know, uh, whimsically moves around the same story elements that you see in the Storyland uh, story book version. What is also interesting is that they added synchronized audio on board this. And this was actually the first ride attraction that Disney had ever tried synchronized audio. So when you go on, um, for instance, Rock and Roller Coaster uh, with its synchronized audio um, or Space Mountain at Disneyland, that is actually based on the experience that they had using it uh, for Casey Jr. It was the testing pilot for this. There are two meet and greets here in meet and greets, character meet and greets. They really wander the parks for the most part. Finding Captain Hook in Adventureland was just so much fun. And, and you find much of that. But there are two places where there are very formal meet and greets. One is for Mickey Mouse. It is toward the train station, Fantasyland train station, though. I say that because when I was there last year, they weren't stopping at that train station. So I don't know if they're actively using the train station still. This theater, and that's what it was, it was originally an indoor theater to do kind of entertainment in the early years, but then they transitioned it to a meet and greet with Mickey Mouse, and that's what it is. The other is located adjacent to It's a Small World. I should talk about It's a Small World First, it just came out of a very prolonged and complete renovation. If you heard me talk about it um, about a week ago in another podcast, this is delightful. I have a video of this. It's not my own, but it gives you a sense of a very different um, version of It's a Small World. One thing that's the, the first thing you notice is that you don't have individual rooms. You know, Europe was like one big room. Asia is one room, Africa is one room, Latin America and so forth. Here, everything is in one room. You kind of hear a little more sound bleed, but it's kind of it, it kind of works here. It um, they don't use it is very colorful. The design and lighting is colorful. It is whimsical. It is not following the original Mary Blair approach, but it is very cool. The orchestration is amazing. It is full. It is my favorite version of It's a Small World. And they recorded some a lot of new tracks to create for this version. And the attraction uh, really goes through in about, uh, about uh, seven minutes as opposed to uh, six, seven minutes as opposed to about 11 or 12 in the, uh, in the uh, American parks, which for a lot of people is the best part about It's a Small World. Originally, the sponsor had a little exhibit for lack of a better term, as you came off of that attraction. Um, and it also became a shop. I think at one point, um, Disneyland has a little version of that too that is a, still a shop. They have taken this space and made it into a princess pavilion. 
and it is where you can go to meet the princesses when you are visiting Fantasyland. So that's a full slate, Three Dark Rides, um, Storybook Land, Casey Jr., the, the Spinners, the Carousel, the Dumbo, the Teacups. Um, it's a small world and a couple of meet and greets. It's a full, it's a full, oh, and of course, Alice, Alice's Curious Labyrinth. The only maze that Disney has ever really kind of created, and I wouldn't count that little one in the UK at Epcot, people. This is, this is big time maze. This is, this is, this is serious maze. Now, what I love about the retail, the shopping experience is that they decided not to just simply prop it out with some theming. But they decided to create some sense of animation or use some props or devices that came alive and so forth. And it is so much fun. The first is kind of a combined retail um, shop, which is the Menagerie de Rouen, which is um, the kingdom's menagerie. And at the centerpiece of it is Goofy as sort of a Sir Lancelot kind of character on a horse in a troubadour-style tent, um, making the pitches. It is attached, it is kind of part of one ongoing retail store that borders Sir Mickey's Boutique. And that's where we get the whole Mickey and the Giant theme, which was later added to the Magic Kingdom. But this is this plays out in a bigger, bigger level. And you see the genie peeking in, and you see Mickey trying to wrestle things on the, um, on the, uh, the beanstalk. Uh, it is a very impressive little retail space in and of itself, and it attaches really nicely to the carousel, which is outside. Um, each of the uh, the dark rides, Pinocchios and Snow Whites, have retail shops located. La Bottega di Geppetto is a very small, intimate shop, and it really is very similar to the boutique shop that was attached at Disneyland. If you remember, there, what, what happens is you had Pinocchio's Daring Journey, followed by this little tiny um, boutique of Geppetto's, his, his own little shop, followed by um, the, um, the restaurant, again, themed completely to Pinocchio. That's been changed at Disneyland. It's now kind of a Be Our Guest theme. And the little Geppetto house at Disneyland has been used in different ways over the years. At one point, it had a very clever frozen meet and greet with Olaf on the roof. Another time, it had um, a Tangled, and, and that was really cool. Um, this one wasn't open, and it may have been because we were kind of coming to the end of of COVID and kind of coming out of the pandemic and it's an intimate space and they didn't want to have a bunch of people stuffed in there. Um, what I love about it is you come off of the ride and immediately you can go into that little shop when it's open. That's different than the one located with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Here, they have a full-blown indoor dwarf cottage. Even the beds have been laid out for the dwarfs with, with plush in them. There's a little scene where you step over the bridge and in the in the river below, you see the animals cleaning uh, the clothes. There is the wicked, the wicked Witch makes an appearance in this. There, it, This is almost a full walkthrough attraction, this retail space. And it is amazing. The only problem with it is it sits on the other side 
of where you enter. If they had flipped the track for Snow White, this might have worked. Um, and you could have come out and gone into the shop, into this cottage. As it stands, you have to exit Snow White, come back around the attraction over to the shop. But do check it out. It is, it is a, a, a show in and of itself. The detail in these retail spaces are just amazing. And that's only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to retail. I'll have more to say later on on that. There are a couple of, of kiosks. I, I, I sent out to Tom Morris to find out what the story is behind L'Arbre Enchante, which is the enchanted tree. And there is a tree. You see the picture of it. It's got oranges and it's got lemons and it's got apples and it's got grapes all growing off the same pears or every kind of common food fruit growing off of this tree it's a very strange thing i think it was attached to some sponsorship with a sun like um provider uh welch's something of that nature originally now it just serves uh, snacks when it's open and it's not always open. Much more interesting is attached to Alice, kind of the bridge between Alice's Curious Labyrinth and the Mad Tea Party is March Hare Refreshments, which the idea was let's create some unbirthday uh, desserts or cake or something to have with that. I don't know that they've been steady at doing that, but they but they do have snacks there that's really cute. Um, the old mill was built afterwards. Now, the design of the old mill was very clever and was actually originally designed for Disneyland in 1955. Never got built. But when they added attractions for capacity, they took the old mill and made a sort of Ferris wheel attraction. The problem is, is it only had like seven, maybe eight buckets on it. It the for capacity purposes and then you have a weather issue on top of that in the winter it didn't succeed that of portion was eventually removed but the old mill itself is still there and it serves snacks out of it my favorite is a chalet de la marionette again this is the restaurant that is attached to the pinocchio experience and i've talked about this because what i love about this restaurant is that it blends in to Adventureland and many of the rooms on the one far end actually have a theming more uh, appropriate to a tavern in a sort of pirate town which then lends itself toward that portion of Adventureland which is Pirates of the Caribbean. I should also mention that across the way is Peter Pan's flight and of course Peter Pan has Captain Hook and it too blends into the Adventureland theme and I talk about this in um, a previous podcast, I'm going to say it's about two and a half months ago, maybe three, where I talked about um, places where you segue thematically in the parks as uh, in, in imaginary design. And uh, I'll try to put the link in there for that. It's very cool. The other final restaurant, uh, well, no, there's two more restaurants I'm going to mention this evening. One is Toad Hall Restaurant. So the exterior looks a lot like Toad Hall at Disneyland, only it extends much further and it's a much bigger uh, facility and it serves fish and chips and really tailors to those Brits who really want something familiar 
um, for themselves. And it's just filled with Toad memorabilia with inside and different artistic versions featuring Toad. And it's just all craziness of Toad. But it is it is a restaurant in and of itself. The other is um, Pizzeria Bellanote, which there were two, there was a little pizzeria and this was actually on the far side near It's a Small World. And it's one of the challenges Fantasyland faces because originally there were, most of the dark, the Snow White and Peter Pan and Pinocchio all can be found on the left. As you go toward the right, you have a couple of shops and restaurants, but there's nothing as a, an attraction. The only thing on that end of the park is it's a small world. Um, but there is a parade route that comes off of Small World, similar to Disneyland, comes through there and then comes in front of the castle and down Main Street. Again, very similar to the Disneyland pattern. But um, And so they created some, some uh, key, well, not kiosks, the, some counter service experiences. One was themed to Fantasia. The other was uh, themed to Italy and Bella Noce. Um, Lady and the Tramp, that kind of thing. Those have not gone away, but they have been completely rethemed with Luca also added into it. So now it's kind of a combination of all three themes, all kind of in that Italian fair type thing. One of the things you're going to want to look for, and I think it's still going to be there, is out in the patio. I mentioned that Mary Blair's influence is not necessarily in It's a Small World, although I should also say it is very much in the influence of the exterior of It's a Small World because the exterior is very much like the Disneyland version. Um, there are differences, but but it's still very much along that line as opposed to the Magic Kingdom version. But here, um, this um, this little patio area, when they went in, well, let me back up. In the 1967 revision of Tomorrowland at Disneyland, Mary Blair was asked to put up two murals which faced uh, uh, each other in the main corridor as you entered Tomorrowland. One side being um, Journey or um, uh, Adventure Through Inner Space, the other side being Circle Vision or America the Beautiful. And they had these, these murals up there well, when they went to do Star Tours and when they went to do um, Buzz Lightyear, they didn't take out the murals, but they put in some bars and that took out a little bit of the tiles. And they've taken those tiles and Tom Morris actually sent the tiles out to be added into the tile work that's done. I have a picture of this. And somewhere in all this is, are some of the tiles that Mary Blair had created for Tomorrowland. It's blended in with all the other tiles. So check that out. Check the image for that um, out there. By the way, speaking of Tom Morris, I've also added the video. There's a whole big video at DisneyInsights.com, which covers the um, how uh, Imagineering approached building out Disneyland Paris. So definitely check out that video as well. So we got a lot of videos, lots of videos. We got lots of photos of Disney Insights, a couple of links. You're going to definitely want to check that out. Now, we're missing something here. There's something we haven't covered. What about the castle? Well, we haven't covered this entrance to Fantasyland. Um, and we haven't covered it for a very clear reason. 
it is a podcast in and of itself because it isn't just an exterior that you walk through on your way to Fantasyland. Rather, it rather it has its own walkthrough attraction within it. It has two amazing retail spaces with a, within it with an adjoining one on the side that ties to the themes of Sleeping Beauty. There is a restaurant nearby. Most castles have a restaurant, remember? They put theirs out to the side, themed to Cinderella, but it's all part of this kind of plaza. Don't forget Sword and Stone in the middle. And there's a dungeon in, or there's a dragon in the dungeon at the bottom. This is a whole podcast in and of itself, and we don't want to miss any of the details of that. So what we're going to do is in the next couple of weeks, we're going to head on to Discoveryland, which is... Uh, Disneyland Paris's version of Tomorrowland. And then we're going to head back to cover the rest of Main Street USA along with the, with the trains and the parades. And then we're going to finish off our entire series with the castle at Disneyland Paris. So we still got plenty to go. In the meantime, make sure you go back and go through our first coverage of Main Street our coverage of Frontierland, and our coverage of Adventureland. You do not want to miss these because these are each podcast dedicated. I promise you by the time you get through these series, you will be booking your tickets to Paris. And by the way, make sure you check out our link to Out the Door Travel with David and Leah Zanola. They are going to help you make those arrangements to get to uh, Disneyland Paris and to have an amazing time. Also, in addition, check out our uh, Patreon group, the Wayfinder Society, because it is going to extend your love of all things Disney through unique and dedicated interactive experiences that can only be found by those who are Patreon supporters of this podcast. So go check it out. You can even see um, some examples of what that looks like. Uh, we canvas many different things. And finally, thank you for being a part of this podcast. We appreciate you taking the time. If you have a chance, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. And if you get a chance, go uh, share um, a review please recommend it to someone else. We love the new viewers we have had since we have moved on to this new site, DisneyInsights.com. We've been growing out our listeners on our podcast. More folks are coming. We've got more videos on our YouTube. If you haven't been to Disney Insights on YouTube channel, we've got so many videos. In fact, I think I saw the number was north of 250 Disney videos alone on our YouTube channel. So check that out. And again, wherever you are, whether it is Paris or Tokyo or in between, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.